that um, on Father's Day that I hit the dad joke book, right? <laughs> Particularly on this day, right? If anything else, this is the day we're going to do it on. All right. Dad, how much should I sell my dead batteries for? Dad answers, how about free of charge? Uh, come on, that's a great dad joke. Come on, you have to give us credit on that one. <laughs> All right, well, if you would, make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we find ourselves, and um, we're going to do a... A little bit of chapter 10 this morning, and then we'll finish it up next time. Well, before we begin, we just want to pray a special blessing on the dads today. So, um, just um, thankful, and um, I want to pray a special blessing on them. So, let's go before the Lord and, and do that right now. And so, Father, we do, as uh, we remember uh, Father's Day here, Lord, uh, uh, they just to remember um, our dad's Lord, and we ask that you would bless them, Father, that you would just continue to fill them and lose, use them, lead them, and guide them, Lord. And, and uh, you know, as I speak for myself, Father, you know, we have failings, and we've blown it, and we've done things we shouldn't have, and things we should, uh, should have done we didn't, and, uh, you know, we're fragile, and, and uh, we do uh, fail at times, Lord, but uh, you know, our hearts are um, always desiring the best for our children and for our families, Lord. Um, you know, we just love them and we want to do everything that's best for them, even though we do fail at times, Lord. And we thank you for your grace and for your love and um, uh, for all that you uh, have done uh, through our dads, Lord, and as dads that you've done for your families, your children, your grandchildren, and those that you know you have an influence and a love over, and we pray that you would just continue to to bless them, Lord. And we think of uh, of those that are, are are spiritual dads to a lot of people, and uh, that's so important as well, Lord. It's just uh, it, we all probably should have some spiritual uh, son or daughter, Lord, that we can mentor and bless and and uh, pour into, Father, for the next generation coming up after us, Lord. And so help us to do that as well, Father. And again, we pray that you would just strengthen families and marriages and particularly dads on this day. Fathers, Lord, we ask that you would just bless them and lead them and guide them and draw them close to you, that they might just be a blessing to their families, Lord. And we do ask that you would pour out a special blessing on them to encourage them and strengthen them and uh, again, that you might just use them in a powerful way, Lord. For we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is where we find ourselves and uh, where we're going to pick it up today. Just continue through the book of 1 Corinthians. And um, we left off last time in, in chapter 9. And if you just want to glance your eyes up the page or back a little bit in verse 24 of chapter 9, it says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. 
And so again, you know, the, the, we left off last time talking about the Christian life being a race. You know, we are uh, running the race to win a prize. So we are to be engaged in this world and in the battle, if you would, and, and the things of this life. We're, we're to be engaged. It's not a, you're not a passive participant and you kind of let life pass you by and you do this and you do this. You know, we're to be active and running a race. If, um, you know, I, I know on Mother's Day around here, they have the Mother's Day run, uh, walk, marathon, not marathon, walk deal, you know, that they do around the slough trails here on Mother's Day. And, uh, you know, I know they have Father's Day's runs and stuff like that. But, you know, if you've seen them, and obviously you've seen the maybe the Big Sur Marathon's been in the news and paper and stuff over the years. And, you know, you see those races, maybe you've been to track and field events, and you see them, you know, they're running and they're running and they're running the race to, to win. And that's the analogy that Paul's using here, that we are to be, our Christian life is to be running as, you know, we're trying to win, trying to get ahead. Now, we're not earning our salvation. It's not, that's not the point at all. It's just that we are engaged, actively participating, and always reaching for the goal, which is heaven, eternal life. It's again, you know, it's not about, you know, this is very passive. And, you know, if I have time, maybe on a Sunday or two, I'll, I'll go to church. Maybe I'll pray once in a while. If something really goes south, you know, I'll, I'll do this. I'll engage in that. No, it, it's, it's, it's daily. It's hourly. It's by the minute. That's why the Christian life is a relationship. It's not a religion. And that's what separates it from all the other religions. You know, religions is about doing and not doing or keeping this, what they say, or keeping what they do or not doing this or, you know, uh, you know, wearing this or not wearing that. And the list goes on and on. It's practically endless. And, uh, you know, Christianity is all about who we are and our relationship. You know, it's based on a relationship, not on do's and don'ts. And so in that relationship, are, we're, it's active, and it's, you know, just like any relationship you have with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, your siblings, or whatever, it's an active, you know, uh, relationship. And the more you talk to them, the more time you spend around them, the more you know what's going on with them, the closer you are to them. And you know how all that works. People that you see once a year at Christmas, oh, you say hi, and you, you know, pat their back, and you talk to them for a little bit, but the people that you talk to day in and day out, you're a lot closer with. And then the same kind of Principle goes for our Christian walk. And, of course, he goes on to say, we lay everything aside that will hinder us in that Christian walk. You know, we, we, we do then because we are in that race, and if you were in a race, you, you don't have donuts in the morning before the race, right? You don't go out the night before and live it up and drink yourself blind or whatever before you're going to be running the race. You would just, you would be out of it. You don't do this. You don't do that. You, you know, you stay in shape. You eat right. You know how all that is. You train. You're focused on that. And that's the same kind of illustration he's given us for the Christian life. And we're, we're, you know, put aside those things that will hinder us. But the other thing we really need to know, and I think what he hammers home here in, in the section we're going to look at this morning, is we need to know this, that we aren't the only ones that have come in this race or have been in this race at all. We can learn from those that have run the race, those that have finished already, those that have lived those lives. We can learn from them because we're not the only ones. There have been many people that have gone before us that have lived the Christian life and have run the late race, and there has also been those who haven't. 
who haven't run the race, who haven't engaged, who haven't been a part, uh, you know, and put aside those things that would hinder them, them from racing. They got involved in those things. They, they stepped aside from the things of the Lord, and we see what their outcome is. And so we can learn from the good, we can learn from the bad. Which is one of the reasons, uh, you know, we go through the Old Testament. I think it's so important because, as I said probably way too many times, you, you, there's Old Testament pictures in people's and people's lives that, uh, that apply to the New, New Testament principles. If I can get this out straight, maybe you remember it. <laughs> you know, there's New Testament principles that are shown in the Old Testament people, okay? And... We can learn from those things. We, we need to learn from those things. And we're not the only ones that have gone down that path, that run in the race and those that have dropped out. And we can learn from those. And so he's, we start out in chapter 10, verse 1, says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now, I'll stop there for a minute because this is something he says, I want you to know. Do not be ignorant about this. You, you need to know this. As a matter of fact, um, just a little over two years, we did a series, it was nine of them, uh, Don't Be Ignorant About. And we took those portions of scripture where it says, do not be ignorant about, and we just looked at them all. And they're online. You can, uh, I don't think we had very good video back in those days, but you can certainly just listen to them. They're online. And uh, I think that, that was really important because he's we're saying, listen, this is something you need to know. Don't bury your head in the sand about this. Don't think, oh, it's not a big deal. This is something you need to be aware of. Don't be ignorant or know this, we would say today. So this is what I want you to know. And he goes on to explain it in the rest of verse 1, that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. Now, I think for most of us, your mind goes back to what he's talking about here. And obviously, he's talking about the exodus out of Egypt and that group of people that left Egypt to go to the promised land. And now we're going to learn about what they had, what they saw, what they experienced, and what was their response. How did they run their race, if you would? How, uh, how can we learn from what they did? And he's going to talk, you know, he's, he puts this whole group of people, because, right, it says, you know, those who have gone before us are fathers, right? That's the idea, generations before us were on this trek. They were delivered out of Egypt, right? Our fathers were under the cloud, passed through the sea. Remember, he, they walked through the Red Sea. The Egyptian army was coming behind them. God parted the Red Sea. You remember the story. They, they walk across the sea with a wall of water on each side, and they go on the other side. And by the way, Paul uh, likens that to baptism. You, you know, and maybe don't think of necessarily the water immersion baptism we have. The point he's really making here is they were all brought into this knowledge of him. In other words, those walking through there that are going through this Red Sea um, all knew uh, and had a knowledge of him, you know, this, this great knowledge of him because of the plagues that were 
brought into Egypt, the deliverance and you know how the Egyptians suffered on some, but the, but the Hebrews were, weren't touched and how God worked you know, miraculous. Uh, the Pharaoh wanted to stop the plague. And so uh, can you stop at Moses and you go out and pray and then all of a sudden, you know, the flies would be gone or the frogs would be dead or this would happen. And, you know, was, they saw all those miraculous things. They were all brought into this knowledge of him. OK, that, that's the point there. And they all ate the same food, manna, you know, and water supplied by the Lord supernaturally. So again, you, you see, everybody experienced this. Everybody knew about the Lord. They're brought into that knowledge of Him. Everybody, you know, had all these blessings and, and again, knowledge and experience of the Lord. Okay, so we all had that. And then it finishes up in verse 4. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so, you know, again, we learned something here that they all drank from this rock. And something we really don't know from the Old Testament, it was that rock was Christ. So, think of it this way, because I think you know, we all know the story of the water was brought out from the rock, and it, it, you know, it provided for them and for their animals, probably millions of people, and tens of thousands of animals, you know, so rock water was pouring out of this rock, and, and we are told here that the rock was Jesus. And the presence of him went with them in the wilderness. That rock followed them. That's what it says. You know, there's a whole interesting study you can, you can do about that, but I'll only just mention that to this. You know, that rock was Jesus, and he followed them. So not only did he have the visible presence of God in the cloud and the pillar of fire by night, you know, for the people, and again, providing shade in the desert and warmth and light in the desert at night and all the things that it provided, but it was a visible reminder of him. But they also had this, you know, rock, Jesus following them that was quenching their thirst and satisfying them, and it, it went with them. Now, uh, uh, Again, I'll try not to go off on this too much because it's very interesting, but one of the reasons Moses wasn't allowed, well, the reason Moses wasn't allowed to go in the promised land was because instead of speaking to the rock, the first time he was to strike the rock, remember, and then water would come out. The second time, the Lord said, speak to the rock and water will come out. Well, Moses got mad. He lost his temper. Uh, yes, he was just like us, <laughs> guys. And he hit the rock. And, and the Lord said, listen, that's not what I ask you to do. Now, why was that so bad? I mean, okay, I didn't speak to it. I hit it. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal for him not to be able to go on the promised land. But there was a purpose for that because the illustration is that, yes, Jesus was struck once because he's the rock, right? And, and now we don't have to, he doesn't have to die again. He doesn't have to be struck again. We just come to him and ask and he pours out his spirit, his love, he blesses us, he does things, he leads and guides us, he's with us, all those things just by asking. And of course, that was important for uh, our, our father to put that analogy together, and that's why Moses uh, wasn't um, allowed to go in. But again, Jesus was present in the wilderness and providing for their needs miraculously. So again, think of all this. Think of all the blessings they had. Think of all that they witnessed and observed and lived. And, you know, they were fed miraculously every day. They drank um, 
in a miraculous way. They were provided for, like I said, with the cloud and the fire. They were delivered from the most powerful army of the world at that time, the Egyptian army. It was gone. It wasn't a threat anymore. All the miracles that they saw in Egypt, they had so much. They had seen so much and experienced so much. And they all experienced this. It wasn't just like, well, these people did, and then that person did, and this person saw this, and that. No. Millions of them literally saw, experienced, lived through all this, witnessed the miraculous, maybe unparalleled in Scripture. You know, maybe more than any other group. If you want to count maybe all the miracles and all the amazing things that they experienced, quite possibly more than any other group. So you would think, right? They saw so much. They had so much. They did so much. They experienced so much, right? They should be on fire. Their race, their example, their running should be, man, they should be at the front of the pack. They're the ones that should be setting the pace and not the ones pulling up, you know, the end of the the race. But verse 5 tells us, But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. See, the Lord drew them to him. He had brought them out of terrible slavery, right? He had shown them these miraculous signs. He had done supernatural things in in so many ways, providing them with food and water. You know, uh, they would have never survived in that desert without the miraculous support of the Lord, right? No, there's just no way. If you've been down to the Sinai Desert and gone through that stuff, it is, you know, it's just skirting around, um, you know, the Arabian Desert. It's just right across, you know, the, the... um, what's the river runs in Egypt? Kind of <laughs> the, Nile. the Nile River. Thank you. What <laughs> a dope. You know, just across the Nile River is the Arabian Desert, right? This kind of runs into North Africa there, right? So it's you know a horrible place to you know to to go across. There's just no way they could have survived. And, and again, he didn't take them directly into the land. He knew they weren't ready to go directly into the land. The shorter way would have been by the Mediterranean Sea and gone up there in a uh, weeks or two weeks time, they could have been there. But he realized, no, I need to get Egypt out of them. I need to, you know, show them all the things that I want to teach them. And I, I'm going to take them by this desert route, but I'm going to take care of everything. We know that their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. They had everything that they needed for all the time they were out there. He takes them by the mountain, talks to them for about a year or so. And uh, again, they had all that. They saw the fire on the top of Mount Sinai, they actually heard the voice of God booming out the Ten Commandments. I mean, again, I would just run out of time listing of all the things that they witnessed and saw and were a part of. But that didn't influence them to draw near to the Lord and run the race. Now, I don't know about you, but I just get amazed when I read these things. So what happened is, because it didn't, they ended up wandering in the desert until all but two of them died. For 40 years, they just went in circles. 
because they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't walk in faith. And so the Lord didn't turn their back. He still provided them with food and water and make sure their clothes were okay. And they had the fire to see at night and the warmth from the cold desert and the cloud to shade them and and lead them uh, during the day and all that. And he didn't cut all that off, but they wandered in circles. He provided for them, but they wandered. They didn't accomplish anything. Listen, if you, you know, were in a race and you're running, let's say, the Big Sur, you know, marathon, and you just decided to go down there, and then when you got to the Bixby Bridge, you just kind of circled the Bixby Bridge every time, you, you never finished the race, right? You would just be sitting there doing laps there, circling, accomplishing nothing. And that's, in a sense, what they did. You know, it's, he's teaching us these lessons. Don't be ignorant about these things. Know these things. Look back and see what past generations have done. Now, in this case today, unfortunately, he's using these bad examples so we can learn from the bad examples. We can learn from their failures and from their mistakes not to repeat them. What's that old saying? If you uh, don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Well, in some sense... That there is some certainly truth there. And these guys were just wandering in circles. And it's a reminder for us, it's a terrible place not entering the spirit-filled life, just running in circles in life and not accomplishing anything in our spiritual walk. You know, all we're worried about is making our next rent payment or, you know, our next vacation or worried about, you know, doing this or having this or getting our next car or, you know, this or whatever people chase after being recognized on social media or getting a promotion at work or, you know, and just going in circles and and living all that. And you could just look back at so many lives of people that have just pursued those things and they get to the end and they're just not happy. They're not miserable. They may have a million in the bank and their 401k is fat sassy and happy (laughs) but you know they're just they're miserable lonely people and they just didn't accomplish anything of course in christian you know the christian walk the christian life you know you expect that with people that don't know the lord but with the lord we don't want to end up on that same kind of roller coaster just kind of repeating what they did or what people do today what happens is we have too much of the lord to be happy in this world but too much of the world to be happy in the Lord. That's one of the biggest problems. You know, as a believer, as a Christian, you know know enough about the Lord where you're not happy doing all those things. It's just not bringing that satisfaction you thought you would. But, you know, you can't enter into the spiritual race because you have too much of the world in you to be happy with the things of the Lord. And that's a very precarious place to say the least to be and he is warning us not to end up on that treadmill if you would I don't know about you but you know through my Christian walking experience you know there's so many people have come up to me over the years and said well you know I'll believe in God or this whole Bible thing you know if I just saw an angel Have an angel, you know, come up right now. If an angel just shows up here, you know, I'll believe it all. I'll do it all. Have him show up. Or people will say, well, if God's real, then have him strike me dead right here. You know, I'll believe him. Yeah, you'll see how powerful he is. I'll just have him strike me dead. And everybody else can see who he is and what he's done and all this kind of thing. 
And let me just remind you, and, and even Christians think that way. Well, Lord, if you just appeared, if you just did this, if you just, you know, you know, showed me this or miraculously appeared or did this or whatever, um, then, then, then I would be, I would believe and I'd be stronger and I'd walk better. But the reality of it is, these people saw more miracles they saw the plagues. They saw the deliverance. They, they walked between two walls of water. They saw the Egyptian army drown. They saw you know, them wiped out. They saw food coming from the sky and feeding them every day, water coming from the rock. They, they saw miracle after miracle. They heard God's voice. They saw the, you know, the Ten Commandments. They saw the fire up there. They saw a, a presence of God up on the top of that mountain. And you would think because of all that they saw, their faith would be incredibly firm and strong. Because that's what people think. If I just saw this, if I just got this miracle, if I just appeared that. And, and, and the reality of it is, even though sometimes we can think that way, and certainly other people do think that way, it's, it's just that's not any guarantee of anything. As a matter of fact, you think it would, but in this case, it didn't have any value to them at all. Only two people of that original group walking out of the wilderness, millions of people, only two went into the promised land. Only two entered in that spirit-filled life. The rest of them were just on the life treadmill of going around and around and around and just, you know, doing time, doing time, doing time. They weren't in the race. So we're told, don't be ignorant about this. Remember this. And he emphasized that in verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And again, all those miracles, all that things that they saw and they witnessed, you know, the opposite was true. With most of them, it made no impact at all. Now, that just doesn't seem to make sense, right? We, uh, again, I think if I just asked us individually and spoke to us, and just really got your heart of hearts, you know, if you saw an angel standing there or, you know, uh, some incredible miraculous thing, you know, right there, you say, wow, that would just incredibly strengthen my faith, faith, right? I would just, it would just, you know, shoot me over the moon. And because that's what makes sense to us. But the reality of it here, it didn't have any impact on almost all those people. You know, uh, again, it, it, those things in and of themselves don't equate to a stronger or a better or, uh, you know, a, a abiding or a running the race kind of faith. It, it just doesn't. They were just scattered over the desert. In other words, um, I don't know, I calculated at one time how many people would have to die over the 40 years. I just don't remember that number, but I kind of estimated how many there were and how many funerals they would have to have a day. And I wish I could remember that number, but it was something like maybe 30 or 40 funerals a day for 40 years to wipe out all those people. Can you imagine that? You know, for 40 years, and he didn't cut their lives short. I mean, you know, he let them, the youngest of them, which was um, 20, right? Uh, over 20, I think it was. Um, so, you know, the youngest person, well, I shouldn't say the youngest person, doesn't say where they all die, but, you know, they would have long lives. You know, a lot of them weren't cut short but they just weren't accomplishing anything and God wasn't pleased with them and they just, quite frankly, weren't pleased with God either. And so 
we're told in verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Now, if you're an underliner or a highlighter, again, the beginning of verse 6 is just one of those things I, I think is important. These things became our examples. Don't be ignorant about this. Remember these things. I don't want you guys to go down the same path. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. Learn from these things. Don't repeat the same mistakes that they made. Learn from them, even though it's a bad example, and there's good examples and bad examples. But we can learn that. They were scattered all over, dead there, and now he'll go back to specifically talk about three particular things that happen that caused them you know, not to act or to live uh, out the Christian life or the Spirit-filled life uh, based on what they experienced and what they had. He's going to give them three good examples of really what happened to the people and, and tell them. And the first one here is, verse 7, Do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. So he's saying here, listen, you, you want to walk. You don't want to repeat the mistakes. You don't want to let all that they experienced and saw just fall on deaf ears. And then you just go back to living and doing whatever you want, just like they did in Egypt, right? Uh, don't go back there. And this is some of the things that they did in this wilderness walk that caused them not to enjoy the blessings of God, enter into the promised land. We would say that's the spirit-filled life today. That's not heaven because they had wars and they went in there. So it's not a picture of heaven because there's no battles in heaven. It's a picture of the Christian life, the spiritual life. We're going to have wars. We're going to have problems. We have an enemy. And, and one day heaven's going to come, but it, that's not a picture of it. It's just the Christian life. It's a, a picture of running the race and, and striving to uh, you know, uh, run the race and finish the race, as we talked about there. And so he says this is one of the things that they did. And quite frankly, you could probably break seven and eight into two things, but I just did one thing, so uh, just stick with me on that. And I... I um, man, I put it in the wrong order. Ethan always asked me and I didn't. But verse, <laughs> let me read verse 7 and 8 in the New Century Version because I think it captures it a little easier to, to understand. It says, Do not worship idols as some of them did. Just as it is written in the Scriptures, they sat down to eat and drink and they got up and sinned sexually. We must not take part in sexual sins as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 of them died because of their sins. So the first example that he lays down here is, you know, don't become idolaters. Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of is some little statue and people going, ah, you know, like some movie or TV show or some bowing down before some idol. And... That happens today, you know, some little statue. If you go into almost any Chinese restaurant and 
Santa Cruz County, <laughs> everyone I've been in, and I can't say I've been in all of them, but I've been in a few, you know, they have the little Buddha thing there and they'll have food offered in front of it. And, uh, you know, they'll have one of those lucky cats maybe. And they'll, you know, have a little food in front of their little, they'll have a little, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, a little shrine, thank you, <laughs> a little shrine. And they'll have a little food offered there and everything. So people still do that kind of thing, you know, maybe they'll have a little incense there or whatever. But in most of us, that's what we picture when we picture idolatry, right? We picture it just, you know, some little statue and everybody bows down. But notice, we, they committed idolatry, but you notice it has nothing to do with a statue or bowing down in this example here. Now, idolatry can be defined in the Bible a number of ways, and certainly one of them is to worship something, you know, that's made by hands, like a Buddha statue or whatever, you know, I'm just throwing that out because that's the one I see the most around. And, and that's certainly part of it, but there's also um, idolatry can be this. The typical club last night in Santa Cruz County and I know I'm generalizing and you get in trouble when you generalize, but just stick with me for my illustration here. Um, you know, where a guy or a girl or guys and girls are going out to a club and they're looking to, uh, I think the vernacular is hook up, right? Uh, there's probably something new that's going back probably years now. But anyway, they're, they're, they're looking for a guy, they're looking for a girl, and they're looking to, you know, be involved sexually. That is idolatry as defined right here. It's a typical Saturday night at a club or some bar in, in the county here or in the city. Uh, it, it could also be a typical date when two people meet on those dating apps or something. You know, they're, they're looking to, uh, and, and again, I'm generalizing and I understand some people are looking and there's probably some good sides to some of those things in Christian dating apps maybe or something. I don't know. I, I'm not going to address that. I'm, I'm just trying to give us a general sense here, so don't, don't crucify me on the illustrations running out of gas at some point. But, you know, but there is people that, you know, that's what they're looking for, to get together for a hookup or whatever, you know, or just have a good time together or this or that. The Bible would call that as well idolatry. Every time we watch a TV show or a movie where two people just meet, and next thing you know, the scene, they're in bed together idolatry okay just just make that clear you know some people think well that's just you know my natural whatever blah 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 this is what people do and that's what everybody does and all this stuff listen the bible calls that act it's called other things too fornication and other things too but it is also certainly idolatry and, and it, well let me put this quote up here and then i'll go on that a little bit it says this, uh, Paul wrote about the need to finish what God has set before us and how dangerous it is to refuse to give up something that gets in the way of finishing. So these people, and the point is, these people experience the power and the miracles of the Lord, and, and some of them, certainly this 23,000, didn't put that into action. They continued to live just like everybody else was doing. They were living like they were living in, in Egypt and they were doing all sorts of stuff like that. They would have, you know, prostitutions and there was places to worship that was literally, a, you know, what they call the temple, but sexual immorality was going on. 
And so instead of calling uh, this club or whatever, you know, uh, whatever club, whatever, you know, you, you could put, if it was happening, uh, what, 4,000-ish years ago in Egypt, you would call it temple instead of club, right? It's the same thing. And he's saying, these guys saw all that. They had witnessed all that for a, years, and now they're here. They had just heard the voice of God booming out the Ten Commandments, and the next thing they're doing within a matter of days is there 23,000 of them are just going back or never went forward in the things of the Lord. And what we're told here is don't repeat this. You know, for us today, that's the old. That's the old nation. That's what we used to do before we knew the Lord, before we knew anything. You know, we're just living to please ourselves in every way. Understand that. But once again, we come to faith in Jesus and we give him our life or we know about the gospel, we know about the miracles and the power of the Lord and what the Bible teaches and we know those things, you know, we, 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 we're in the race now. We can't go back to those things. He says, don't repeat this. And he's talking to a church, by the way. He's not talking to people out on the street. This is being written to the church in Corinth. And it could easily be written to the church today. Don't repeat this. And next he gives the next example, verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. So the next thing, and again, man, I just got way off on all my quotes. <laughs> um, again, the, the next thing is, you know, there were some who tested or questioned the plan and purposes of God, right? That's what it said, on their trek to the promised land, and they thought they knew better than God. And as a result, and again, Numbers 21, you can read it, they were killed by snakes, and what brought the snakes in is, why did you bring us out here, God, in this wilderness to die? You know, we had it made back in Egypt. Why did you bring us out? I mean, they were complaining. And somehow Egypt looked good to them. <laughs> you know, they're in that desert. They have seen all this. They have provision. They don't have to work for anything. Everything is just literally given to them by the Lord. And they're complaining how bad they have it and how good they had it as slaves back in Egypt. You know, the slavery in Egypt is also called an, an iron smelt, an iron furnace. I don't know if you've ever been around an iron furnace. I have been. It's insane, the intense heat that comes from a, a metal, you know, you're taking, and metal is a very broad term, but let's say you're taking some sort of steel, and you're melting it till it becomes liquid where you can use it to pour and all sorts of stuff. You've probably seen them on TV and stuff. But it's insane. This thing could be insulated. It's literally the ladle's feet thick of refractory, you know, to keep it warm and to insulate it. And, and, and yet you can't even be within, depends how big it is, within a, a, a hundred yards of this thing without just like, oh, I feel like I'm on the surface of the sun, you know, and, and um, you know, and then the guys that have to have, even get close have to wear all sorts of protective gear and everything. Um, but uh, that's what he called, and that's what's described as what their slavery was like. 
being near one of those and that was your life. And yet here they're complaining to God. They thought, let's clarify what their, what their thinking was, they thought they knew better than God. Yes, God, you want to bring us into this promised land, but it doesn't look good to me. I can't see any upsides on this. You know, I wrote a pro and a cons list, and I got way more cons than pros. So let's, let's head back. You got this one wrong, God. Now, when we put it in those terms, you, you kind of, you know, almost have to chuckle to yourself, right? God got something wrong? <laughs> but in reality, we can live that way. We don't necessarily say that, but we could say, well, God is leading me in this way, and you're leading me in this way, but uh, I don't know. That looks like it's going to be painful, or I'm not sure if I'm going to like it, or what happens if it falls apart, and I don't know, i got to hedge my bets a little bit, and, you know, and what we're saying is we know better than God. And again, uh, or what you have us doing or how you're leading us is not what I want. You know, I didn't sign up for this. And again, uh, the Lord is bringing them to attention what they have. And if he made a way out, and I, and I won't go into all the details of, of what happened with the snakes, but obviously, as you can see up there, you know, he, he made a way for them to be healed from the snake bites. So it wasn't just like, I'm just going to wipe you all out kind of a thing. There was a, there was a provision for them to look up in faith and, and be healed from this thing. But for those that just thought they knew better than God and we really don't like the direction you're heading us and so we want to go back. And those people with hardened hearts, again, paid the price. It, it can be this way. Let me, let me put it in these terms. Maybe that'll help us understand a little bit more. The cry of these people at that time when they're complaining is much like ours sometimes when, you know, we're a Christian, we're a believer, we know what we should be doing, and then all of a sudden we kind of long for our old friends. Oh, remember that party we had on the 4th of July back in those days? Oh, remember, you know, the fun we had, man, and we did, what, 99 bottles of beer? Oh, sorry, whatever. You know, I'm just throwing something out, right? You know, and we did this, and we were doing that, and we went over there, we did all this, and, you know, we look back in great fondness for all that stuff that we forget and fail to remember, the loneliness, the emptiness, the guilt, the misery, the hangovers, the repercussions legally, maybe, you know, we got a 502, 501, whatever, that, why can't I think of that? 502, 501, whatever that law is for driving under the influence, right? And we forget about, you know, the misery we had and all that. We just look back at those things and we long for those things and we fail to remember, as they did, the laboring and the beatings and the slavery of Egypt. And so we're told here, let us not tempt Christ in verse 9. Or don't test Jesus by saying, I miss the old days. My job is a drag. I'm stuck, with, stuck in this marriage. And, or I don't like this. And this is miserable. And why did you put me in the middle of this horrible thing? And look at this. And, and as believers, you know, when we complain about our situation... We're directly complaining about Christ because he's the one that allowed me to be in the situation in the first place. And we need to be careful when we complain. That's the next warning here. These guys, yeah, there was some lust involved. You don't want to go back with that. You don't want to think you know him better than God. Well, I'm just going to, you know, 
you know, shine him on a little bit because I think I know a little bit better. And, you know, I know he's kind of moving in my heart to do that. And I should be doing that. I know I should be doing that, but I'm not really doing that. And we end up tempting Christ. And again, but he allowed us to be in this situation to begin with. He's moving us in that situation. He's calling us in that area. It's frustrating. It, you know, I experience it too. I, on one side of the coin, because it's just been you know, a little over two years, and I was looking back at that uh, series we did, um, Don't Be Ignorant About, and, you know, that we finished up that series just before we were asked to leave our church building. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I was, like, floored. And, and again, I don't know, but I think the bakery lady complained about the church or whatever, and, and the city, you know did this, and then they went way over, and they weren't legal in what they did, and there was just so much there, and I'm like, Lord, you know, should I fight them? I know what they're doing is wrong. It's, it's not right legally. It's not right morally, and, and you know, what, what do you want to do here? Um, and I just felt like, okay, we just don't want to be a witness to the city as much as I just wanted to, well, put them down. <laughs> I don't know how to say that, right? Correct them pretty strongly. But I didn't, and then, you know, uh, not even a month later, the pandemic hit. And I was like, oh, wow, Lord, we just wouldn't have been able to pay for that building. We wouldn't be able to keep it up. It would have been, you know, we had been paying for something that we really couldn't use. And I was like, oh, wow, Lord, okay, thank you. I see your plan and all this. But, you know, I was complaining. Lord, you allowed it to happen. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry I was complaining. You know, look what you did. You spared us from you know, making a bad name with a landlord if we didn't pay our rent or breaking a lease or this or that. Okay, thank you, Lord. But now I'm on this side thinking, okay, Lord, well, why haven't you brought us back to a place? Why, <laughs> what's going on? You know, I, I find myself, you know, complaining as well. You know, Lord, why, why haven't you opened the doors? Why, why is this continuing to go on? Okay, we went through that. I get that. But now, you know, I'm complaining on the other side. So my point is, it's easy to do that. But then again, we have to look back and say, well, Lord, either you're leading me and guiding me and you brought me into this place, uh, uh, you know, whether it's an individual or a family or a church or whatever the case, you know, if you're really Lord and you're in control and you love me and you're, you know, you're watching over me and you dwell in me, then you're allowing these things to happen in the first place. And so when I complain about them, I'm really complaining about you and what you're doing in my life, which is what they were doing. Again, it's just an illustration of those who want things outside the will of God. And at the end of the day, I think if we, we really look at our heart of hearts, we don't want anything outside the will of God, right? I, I mean, he always has something good for his people. It was true then, and it's true now. But the problem they had is they constantly wanted something that was beyond God's will for them. They were constantly longing for something that was not part of God's will, that wouldn't be good for them. And he knew that, and he loved them, but they're constantly hammering on. No, it's going to be good, not it's going to be good. And, and I always say, you know, some of the worst days in your life is when God finally allows you to do what you've been complaining about and banging down the door to do. He finally says, okay, you want to do that? You want to bang on that door? You want to kick that door in? You're going to keep banging your head against that door? Okay, fine, go through that door. And some of those are the worst days of our lives when we demand uh, God bow to our wills. 
We need to go back and realize He always has something good for us. He knows everything He knows for the good of the people, and we don't want to fight against that. And that's how we tempt Christ and end up being in a bad place. And the last one here in verse 10, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but when we start reading the word complaining, you go, oh man, that just included everybody of all time, right? Complaining is what some of us are very good at. But again, you know the story. Twelve went into the promised land. Yep, it's great and wonderful. Uh, but man, there's huge giants there. We are not equipped as an army to fight these people and their cities and their armies. And some of the guys in that land are like, you know, make Shaq look like a, a midget on the <laughs> basketball court. I mean, these are big, strong guys with big cities with big, strong walls and big, strong armies. We're a bunch of slaves, a ragtag group of people that haven't had any battle experience other than what the few things that they had going into the promised land, and we're fighting against that. Oh, yes, the land the Lord has for it is beautiful, man. The fruit's good. It's watered. We don't have to worry about droughts and cycles, man. There's trees. There's, it's just beautiful. It couldn't be any better, they would say. But two of the, or ten of the twelve said, yeah, it's great and wonderful, but it, it's you're leading us into a terrible thing. We're not going to survive. It has huge giants, huge walls, huge problems, and, uh, and there's just no way. And it discouraged everybody. And most will die in the wilderness uh, because of it. They'll just walk around. They're not going to enter into the things of God. They're just going to go on the treadmill. They're just going to run in circles. They're not going to be running the race. They're just going around. There's just no way I'm going to do that. It's too hard. It's kind of like, if God loves me, why doesn't he, you know, or how come this giant is marching towards me? You know, why is this giant problem here? Why are you allowing this giant problem in my life? You know, why that? Why no other? Why isn't this changing? Why, why, why? Right? That's the, the complaining train. In reality, you know, the very situations these people are going to murmur and complain about are, are those which God wants to use to strengthen them. And that's true with us. These situations that we tend to complain about are the very things that the Lord has brought to us that we might be strengthened, but those are the things that we feel like, oh, why does this have to happen? And why is this never ending? And why is this so much trouble? And we complain. But, you know, so much of the time I see that He's using that to mold us and shape us and do works in us that couldn't be done any other way. But we complain about it because we don't like it. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not something, you know, we, this or that. I, I like this quote, if I can put it up here. Uh, he, he talks about this, you know, talking about lust. I, I got these slides way out of order. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the way lust is. It's never satisfied. It brings leanness to the soul, weakness to the body, and emptiness to the spirit. And that was the wrong quote, but that was back when, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Sorry about it. I got so mixed up. Ethan always yells at me. Here it is right here. Sorry. That which seems so big and so intimidating are giants. And it is the wise man or woman who, like Caleb, says, You've let them cross my path, Lord. Therefore, they must be there to make me stronger. You know, that was the heart of one of those 
two guys that said, yes, they're big, strong, and the land's beautiful, but God's with us. We can do it. Everybody else, there's no way you can do it. I'll just leave this last one with us. Is How much different our lives would be if we really believe that the trials that come our way and the giants that loom in and around our lives are actually benefit and beneficial to us and to our faith? I mean, if we just perceive the difficult things and the trials and the giant problems that come our way are actually a benefit to us and to our faith, it really changed our perceptions about all kinds of problems and difficulties that we face. He's allowing them for a reason. He loves us. Yep, it looks difficult to you guys going in the land, but this is our God leading us. He's going to take care of them. Those are... There's no way he can take care of that. That's God's limit right there. Giants and big walls and big armies. And he can't do that, right? He can do things, but not those things. That's a bad place to be. Well, let's finish up with our final lesson here in verse 11 here, our final statement. He says, Now all these things happened uh, to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. So he sums this up. Again, if you're an underliner or a highlighter or something, um, you know, we don't want to miss these lessons. Um, I think somebody put it this way, good beginnings do not guarantee good endings. I like that. Read our Bibles. We look for lessons. We look for examples that might make us wiser. Again, The old adage is true, you know, experience is the best teacher. However, it doesn't have to be our experiences. That's what he's saying here. You know, uh, we realize the Lord uh, let and, and recorded all this and allowed that to take place that we today might learn from that. He recorded all these things that we might learn. Uh, again, um, he wanted to show that, you know, when, when they just rebel against the will of God and the things of God and want to just run their own race and do their own things, you know, they just didn't die immediately. They just didn't, okay, you're going to step out of God's will, lightning bolt's going to hit you and that's it. No. You know, they remained. Uh, they were fed. Even God took care of them with water and food and clothing and all that stuff. But they never entered the, the promised land. You know, they were saved from Egypt, but they didn't have the privilege of their rich inheritance in the promised land. And, and, and Paul's writing this stuff. Don't misunderstand me. You know, it's not about losing their salvation. It's not a matter of salvation that he's talking about here. But he was afraid that some in that church, as some is in the church as a whole here today, you know, would, again, you know, would live a life that was just, you know, God, you're kind of there. I know you're there. It's okay you're there. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living my own thing. And every once in a while, when I need some advice... I'll certainly ask you, <laughs> but I kind of got my own plan to get, navigate. And, and, and we're told here, don't think that way. It, it doesn't bring anything good. It's not good for you. It, it'll only cause you heartache and heartbreak, and then you'll find yourself just wandering around and wondering why things just are, uh, I feel like on a, a hamster on a wheel. And he says, so learn. Don't be ignorant. Learn from these examples. Learn from the examples that have been set before us and, and learn from that experience, though not ours, but from others, that we might 
not make the same mistakes and that we might enter in with faith and trust with the Lord and walk with Him and allow Him to do the work. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these things this morning, Lord. It's just, you know, not always an easy message to hear, Father, but an important one. Uh, you have us, where you have us is where you have us, Lord. It's, um, you know, things that we need to hear, and we thank you for them. And, uh, you know, we maybe not always remember how important uh, the, your word is, but you've preserved it for us. These stories are important. These lessons are important. Um, and so we, we want to be those that learn from them. We, we don't want to have to experience it firsthand. We don't have to go through the school of hard knocks ourselves. We can learn and see and look and say, okay, that's not something I want to repeat. I don't want a life that's just void of joy and satisfaction and peace because I decided to, to put you, Lord, at arm's length. Father, we... we there's nothing satisfying there. It's just a, a slow dirge of misery, like walking around in a desert for 40 years, waiting to die. And, and so, Lord, uh, you don't want us to experience that in our Christian life. You want us to enjoy the abundance that you have for us and use us and enter into your kingdom with great joy and anticipation and not just barely, you know, make it into heaven by the skin of our teeth, Lord, and kind of show up uh, as a country bumpkin or something. Uh, you have so much for us in this life, Lord, uh, that will just be a great blessing in eternity. And I don't know how that works out, but I know it does. I know faith is valuable in your economy. Uh, and so we want to grow in that and help us to do that, Father. And I pray, Lord, if we are walking around or if we're you know, kind of on the treadmill of doing things our own way and kind of putting you at arm's length, Lord, that we would just come back and make you the priority and experience the fullness of joy and love and peace and satisfaction and purpose and all those things and more that you have for us. Lord, we are never, ever disappointed when we make you first in our lives, when we make you the priority. If anything, Lord, everything becomes so crystal clear in those times. And uh, Lord, we don't want to lose sight of that. So draw us back to you, Lord. Help us in faith. Strengthen us, Lord. We thank you for your love. Bless these things to us, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen you guys. May the Lord bless you.